Hello, race fans, and welcome to another edition of the Pittsburgh Racing Now podcast. I am your host, Scott Stiller. Coming up on this week's podcast, we'll talk with the winner of the Rush Late Model Series, Joke George Steel City Classic that took place last Saturday at Pittsburgh's Pennsylvania Motor Speedway. We'll also talk to the voice of Lernerville Speedway, Big E, Eric Westendorf. We're at the halfway point of the Lernerville season, so we're going to take a look at the championship fight. We're also going to talk to IndyCar drivers James Hinchcliffe and Scott Dixon. Practice started this week for the 104th running of the Indianapolis 500. On the pole position tonight is the winner of the Rush Late Model Series Juke George Steel City Classic, and he's a familiar name. Joining us on the Pittsburgh Racing Now podcast, you know him as the Crusher Kid. He is this year's winner of the Juke George Steel City Classic. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to this week's podcast, Mike Norris. Mike, thanks for joining us, man. Thanks for having me on. Hey, congratulations on the win the other night. Uh, explain to everybody how the deal kind of came together. It's kind of a neat story. Well, uh, my brother-in-law, Nico DeBecco, um, recently had gotten that car. Um, he got it last year and, um, he spent the majority of this year running another gentleman's car and, uh, he didn't have a lot of seat time in the, the XR1 rocket. And, uh, he kind of kept asking me if I wanted to drive it and, uh, he wanted to bring it out for the Juke George and I, I never drove a crate car before and I kind of like deep down, I wasn't sure if I really wanted to or not, but he brought the car up and we went through it and, uh, just went there and everything kind of went, fell our way and it worked out and, uh, ended up winning the thing. But at the end of the day, I'm glad I was able to do it because we all kind of came together as a, as a family and a team and, you know, it was a lot of fun. So a lot of people may not know Nico is your brother-in-law. He's married to your sister. Yeah, unfortunately, a lot of people don't even know I have a sister. Um, so she's always kind of been in the shadows of the racing, you know. But uh, yeah, they've they've been together for a while now, and I figured he puts up with her, so I'll I'll drive his race car for him, you know. <laughs> Isn't it like she puts up with you guys? I think that's more of the truth of it. I was just giving her a hard time, but no, they they kind of got their own deal going on, and I've been helping them for the last couple years here and there. But you know, he. He just wanted to, I don't know, he really wanted to win that race, and he put together the best car he you know, thought he could. And um, It was nice for me to get some seat time in it, too, so I can help him in the future. You know, I get a better idea on how the, the crate cars run and operate versus an open car because there's quite a bit of difference um, with, you know, front and rear percentages and how much horsepower you have. You know, it, it, it plays a huge part in setting the car up, so it definitely helped me to be able to help him, you know, I was going to say, talk a little bit about the differences between the two cars. Well, uh, a lot, pretty much the biggest thing is the horsepower, you know, his versus mine, it's probably right around 400 horsepower less, you know? And then, uh, with a crate motor, they have what's called a wet sump oil system. So, you know, you don't have an oil tank, oil pump, you know, just everything's a lot simpler and more cost effective, you know? Um, it's a lot cheaper to get into a crate late than it is an open late. Um, that's no secret, but, uh, just so dynamically, it just makes the car handle differently, you know, just kind of got to go at it a different way than you would an open car where, you know, if you have a handling issue, a lot of the time with an open car, you can just either gas it up, 
you know, and it would help the car turn, for example, where a crate car, you don't have that extra horsepower to really break the car loose. So tendencies, you want to be, you know, a little more freer than normal. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's still the same chassis, same style shocks and stuff like that. So that, you know, I was fairly familiar with it. It definitely helped, but definitely different. When you're in the car, the difference in horsepower uh, do you notice it more in the turns or you, do you notice it more? Can you carry more speed? I don't want to say carry more speed in the turns because obviously more power you're going to, you're going to, but is it coming off the corner? Cause it pulled the open car pulls better. Yeah, definitely notice it. I mean, at a place like Pittsburgh, you notice it pretty much the whole way around there. Cause it's such a momentum place and you, even in an open car, you use a lot of throttle. I mean, it's, it's big and fast and especially when you run, you know, closer to the wall, you know, you, you don't spend a lot of time not on the gas. So, I mean, both cars, you, you're you definitely in the throttle a lot, but you notice it a lot there, like especially, like you said, coming off the corner and down the straightaways where the crate car just kind of lacking a good bit compared to an open car. You know, I, I could pretty much hold it flat on the floor the whole way around there if I wanted to, you know, so... Now you said the other night you liked the the way the track was was running because you like to get you like to get up near the wall and a lot of guys you know it's it's funny whenever I'm at Pittsburgh you see two distinct and it seems like you know you go week after week or you see the guys there whenever the particular series they run you get guys that just love the low side and other guys that'll just live in the high groove. Yeah, I think a lot of it is preference, you know, and different driving styles. Early on in the night, the bottom was, was very wet, and uh, it was kind of throwing crumbs up across the track, and, you know, from pretty much the middle groove up, it was just all, you know, crummy and dusty, and they finally got it worked in at feature time, and it actually produced pretty good racing, you know, you could you could run the bottom, the middle, the very bottom was still kind of wet, but uh, it still widened out enough that, you know, you were able to pass guys and put different you know, laps together and still turn good times, you know, you could run middle or bottom or diamond it or kind of wherever you wanted to go and, you know, still get the job done. So I, I was glad it, you know, turned out the way it did. And I feel like it raced pretty good, especially for an event like that. You know, a lot of work went into that event to put on a good race for the fans was probably the most important thing, you know. You know, I was surprised. They had a really good crowd at the race and from all the different track promoters I've talked to, throughout the year once they were able to get racing uh the fans have, have really come out and supported the racetracks and they've been following the protocols the track has put up in regards to the COVID-19 situation uh, and you guys as racers you got to love that support oh absolutely it was refreshing I haven't hadn't been to Pittsburgh in a long time you know since last October and I uh, looked up and it was a very good crowd for Pittsburgh, and I was glad to see that. Like you said, everywhere we've went this year, it's been big crowds, and it's just it's it's awesome for our sport. And uh, I think it just shows that you know everybody's been kind of cooped up for a while, and you know going with the protocols and everything, they've been able to get out and you know watch some racing. And you couldn't, besides being a little warm, you couldn't really beat the weather we had. So we we really were fortunate there. So it was it was good to see. How did you handle the layoff over, I should say, the extended layoff over the winter and really the first couple of months of the season? Well, I, I was probably on the luckier side. We actually got the race a good bit, you know, compared to a lot of people because we ran in Florida in February. And then uh, we did the Lucas Oil events in, you know, 
I think they were late March or in April where there was no fans and stuff like that. And then we went to Eldora for the stream. So we actually raced a lot this year. And then our business was fortunate enough to stay open, um, being a scrap metal recycling center. So it was really kind of business as usual for me personally, besides there was no traffic on the roads, you know, it was kind of apocalyptic feeling, but you know, it, it, it kind of gave us the opportunity to get caught up on some stuff because there definitely was a couple weeks there where we obviously weren't racing, but, uh, you know, get some family time in and home projects done. So I think it just it made everybody get their stuff good. So now now that we're racing, everybody's kind of on their A game, you know. So what's what do you got on the horizon here over the next couple of weeks and the last couple of months of the season? Um, It's kind of just hit or miss. That's kind of been our mentality the last year or so, just, whatever makes sense weather wise and payout wise, we're definitely going to hit um, like the Lucas oil races at uh, Port Royal and, you know, try to hit some outlaw stuff and, you know, whatever bigger regional races are around, just kind of, you know, do a true outlaw type schedule. You know, when, when we feel like going, we'll go, if not, we'll, we'll do something else. That's kind of been our mentality and we've been able to, you know, get a pretty good program going to do that. So, now, are you doing that in your car, or are you doing that in Todd's car? Because I, I know you parked Todd's car in Victory Lane at Lernerville a couple weeks ago. Yeah, we'll probably do some in Todd's. Todd's a great guy. He's really laid back. And, you know, when we want to go race his stuff, we go race his stuff. If not, we'll race our family stuff. Cause my grandfather and grandmother are really involved in my program, um, and they like to see my car out there just as much as anyone else. So we try to try to balance it all. And like I said, whatever makes sense, you know, whatever one is – we feel the most prepared that's probably the one we'll take and todd doesn't want to race his you know a ton so we try to save it for the bigger bigger stuff you know we we took it out at Lernerville just to make sure it was all good um because that was a that was a new motor and stuff but uh i'm just blessed to have it all and be able to do what we do so i got to thank all them you know all them people that helped me get where i'm going you know who are some of the people that help you out while we got you on the air you can uh thank the guys that help you out um, probably the most important is my dad. No, no secret. I say that every interview, but he, he got me into it and he still works just as hard on the cars as he did when we started. Uh, Dakota Brueggemann, my other brother-in-law kind of pretty much come on as the crew chief, you know, and he's learning a lot and really been a huge help. And, uh, Kevin Bittner, my uncle Bernie, Matt, and, uh, D&D Auto Salvage, Millerstown Pickup Park, um, Corey Fox Trucking come on this year and we've been family friends with him for a long time. And, starting to get into the racing and uh this has really helped out and gary henry and jeff henry up at henry racing engines um rocket integra shocks woods rod and custom um todd Terenzia, todd auto body i mean there's there's a huge group that supports me and it's just awesome you know to be able to represent them we do a great job representing them do you see yourself taking Nico's car out again at all? Is he going to, you know, what, what are, what's the game plan with that? Cause, uh, I think rush has only had three of their big touring events. So there's, they still got a couple more left to go. And I know they're going back to PPMS, uh, later in the fall. I don't think I, I told him we were loading it up. I'm like, all right, it's all on you now. So, I want to get him out and get him comfortable in it and hopefully get him a couple wins, but I'm, I probably won't be out in it unless he asks me again. But, uh, like I said, I want to get him out and get him comfortable in it and hopefully he can knock off a couple. Yeah, no doubt about it. It's got to be enjoyable to have the other night for the, I, you mentioned in victory lane about it being a whole 
family affair. And family's one of the biggest things that I try to explain to local sports fans that is another one of the reasons to go out and check out a local dirt race because the racing community is a family and you know there's so many families involved in it and it's a great thing to expose a family too because it's it's very different uh, from most stick and ball sports in that you know you're not competing against your brother and some rare occasions you are or a cousin or a brother-in-law or an uncle or whatever the case may be whereas in racing some days you're teammates with them and then other days you're competitors yeah it's, it's got an awesome dynamic and i tell you it's kept me and my dad super close and you know even if we're having a bad day at work because we all work together too you know my dad and my cousin my uncle my grandfather was involved he's retired now but you know we always end up talking about racing you know when we we're having our morning meetings and we always end up straying off onto racing it's just it's in our blood and it's kept us all super close and yeah like i said the the race this past weekend you know nico's crew kind of meshed with my crew and it, it was just a good time you know it just very rarely does everything go right like it did so you just kind of got to take it as it comes and, you know, appreciate it because you know as well as I do, racing is an up and down sport and it's very humbling and you kind of got to ride the wave and try not to get too high and not to get too low, you know. But everything worked out this weekend and it was kind of a Cinderella story for us. So we're just, we're happy and just going to soak it in and then keep on digging, you know. Excellent. Excellent. We appreciate that for sure. And I think all the race fans do too. You're a very humble guy. You're not a guy that's out there, you know, that's, that's all wrapped up in himself or it's all ego. And, uh, you know, you, you are the type of person that has worked his way up with the help of the family and your sponsors. You weren't born with a silver spoon in your mouth. So you're not some rich kid blowing all of daddy's money. You know what I mean? Well, I appreciate that. Like I said, a blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while. So I'll just stick to that memo because that's what I feel like, you know, just there's a lot of good people behind me and I just get all the recognition for it, you know, so I just appreciate all of them and hopefully we can keep going. Well, you're doing a hell of a job behind the wheel. You know, last year you when you filled in for Don O'Neill, we heard nothing but positive stuff from the Lucas Oil Series and, and it's obvious you, you have the talent and the equipment to hang with those guys and compete. You know, we saw it at Lernerville earlier this year uh, when the uh, Outlaws rolled in. And uh, we look forward to, you know, catching up with you throughout the remainder of this season and keep us in the loop on what you're doing uh, going forward. I will do that. I appreciate all the publicity you guys give the local racing community. It really, you know, keeps us all going, you know. So I appreciate all the stuff you guys do. Well, we appreciate the support as well. Mike Norris, the Crusher Kid, the winner of the Joke George Steel City Classic, late model driver. Thanks for taking the time out to join us on the Pittsburgh Racing Now podcast. Thank you. Thanks to Michael Norris for taking time out of his schedule. We wish him the best of luck the remainder of this season on and off the track. Fab Four Racing at Lernerville Speedway Friday night. It's the halfway point of the season, so we figured it was a good time to catch up with our next guest. Joining us on the Pittsburgh Racing Now podcast, you know him as the voice of Lernerville, Big E, Eric Westendorf. Thanks for taking time out of your schedule to join us, buddy. Thanks for having me, Scott. I appreciate it. It's been a long time waiting. We, we haven't been able to hook up until now, but uh, hopefully it'll be worth the wait for both of us. 
No doubt, no doubt. I wanted to talk a little bit, you know, it's it's hard to believe, but we're already at the midpoint of the local racing season, and it seems like we just got started. Yeah, well, what's even harder to believe is on our original schedule next week would have been championship night. So, uh, thankfully, the Thompsons, um, you know, we're, we're aggressive in their scheduling, and, you know, my, my son is 15. He's supposed to be a sophomore playing varsity football this year, so... Um, whether or not CAIAA or WPIL agrees to play football or not remains to be seen, but we thought it was a risk worth taking because of how many Friday nights we missed at the beginning of the season. Um, so usually in September we switch to a set, you know, Saturday only special shows because, you know, even Don Martin back in the eighties and nineties knew that he couldn't compete with high school football. You know, a lot of the concession workers, family members, whether they are in football, band, cheerleading, it's just tough to compete with football in this region. And for that reason, we have traditionally switched to Saturdays. But um, like I said, with the uncertainty of what was going to go on with schools reopening or not reopening and whether or not football is going to happen, we took a chance and added a bunch of Fridays. Uh, we're pretty much going to race the whole way through the middle of October. Uh, there are still two Saturday shows on the card. So uh, pretty fan-friendly event on, I think it's September 12th on a Saturday, school bus and kids bike races. So, uh, yes, we run school buses around a uh, almost a half a mile dirt track. It's very entertaining. Um, and then we also give kids the opportunity to bring their bikes and helmets and race on the front straightaway. So that's a very uh, fam- family-friendly event. Uh, it's a lot of fun. And uh, then two weeks after that, we have the World of Outlaws um, NOS Energy Drink Sprint Car. So uh, NASCAR star Kyle Larson won that race uh, with the Outlaws, our Silver Cup, in July. And no way of knowing yet whether or not he'll come back for that race in September. Um, but other than those two Saturday events coming up in the middle of September, we're racing every Friday through the middle of October, and we're really excited about it. Well, we're excited about the local racing. I keep trying to tell everybody one of the best things you can do since there aren't any pirate games to go to, and it sounds like we may not have Steelers or Pitt or Duquesne football or any of that happening, go to uh, one of the local dirt tracks. It's fun. It's affordable. It's a lot of action, and you know, and I, you know, our experience has taught us once you take somebody to the track, they come back. Absolutely, and and the biggest thing is, we for us, it's uh, ten and under, but a lot of tracks, whether it's eight and under, twelve and under, it, it ranges from track to track. But most tracks, kids get in free, and try doing that at Heinz Field. I mean, you, you try to walk a kid in field, in free at Heinz Field, they'll call security on you. At our track, we've been doing that. Um, pretty much since the track's been open. So it is very family-friendly. I mean, you, maybe you could get a discounted price for a movie ticket for a kid, um, but you pretty much can't take kids anywhere. I have four sons. Um, one of them has a baseball game tonight. and um, you know, So for a family of four to, to take all four of my kids in for free would be you know, a great opportunity. And we've really seen a lot of uh, new faces and new families come to the track because, like I said, there isn't a whole lot else to do. People aren't going on vacation. Um, there's no concerts, no pirate games. So we are seeing a lot more, uh, new people and people taking a chance on trying to get some type of entertainment. And we have a huge grandstand. So there's plenty of room to space out. I know, you know, a lot of people still have very legitimate concerns about, uh, public gatherings, but, uh, we require all of our fans to sign a COVID waiver. Uh, we do temporal scanning on the way in. We require people to wear masks coming in. And anytime they're at, um, around any of our employees, so when they're buying tickets at the concession stand, uh, we just ask their courtesy and being thoughtful of others. Um, you know, we've tried all along not to make it political, not to question you know anybody's health symptoms, but 
just be courteous of others and, um, you know, wear the mask as, as much as you're comfortable doing. And for the most part, people have been very cooperative with that. And I think it's gone a long way in us being able to stay open. I was going to say, I've been very impressed with all the local race fans, especially the people come in they come in, they come out every week in and week out. They're sticking to the protocol to a T and they're bringing fans and friends with them and they're following those safety protocols. And that's the key. We just want to keep racing. Right. And there's the, uh, if you come to the track, we would greatly appreciate if you did. Uh, there's a huge sign coming in, um, you know, essentially saying that we want to stay open and the best way that fans can do that is to be compliant. And we understand, you know, all your uh, constitutional rights and amendments and all that stuff. Um, you know, we're not arguing that. We just want to stay open to provide that family entertainment because there's not a lot of places um, that are able to do that right now. No doubt about it. This week, you guys have go-kart night and a couple of charity events happening. I know there's a benefit for Lisa Hartman, who was diagnosed with uh, breast cancer in June, and then Chris Rudolph, and the folks from Ride for Kids are going to be out there uh, bringing some kids with them that have pediatric brain tumors. Yeah, and, and we hate to have to do those kind of things, but um, you know, time and again, our fans have shown that when those situations come about, you know, we had a, a driver tragically pass away in a work accident a few weeks ago, and the fans rate you know donated over four thousand dollars that night. Um, so anytime we have you know any of these charity benefit ra- auction raffles. Um, we hate to have to do it, um, but we love how much money we're able to, to pass along to the families, uh, to see those kids for the, you know, the kids with pediatric brain tumors, uh, for them to meet their heroes. And then a lot of times what, what I like to, to watch myself is how much the drivers light up when they get to interact with those kids. Um, it, it's just a great, you know, opportunity for, you know, to, to share some time and, you know, we'll do it as safely as possible, but. You know, the kids just love, you know, meeting their heroes. And our drivers really love getting involved with the kids, too. We had a, uh, a mock snowball fight a few weeks ago where they did a bunch of water balloons. And the, I think the drivers had more fun than the kids. Uh, just we have, we have a really good group of drivers, uh, very sportsmanlike. We had, you know, a, a race go to the checkered flag last Friday night um, between two of our pro stock drivers. And, you know, the one driver parked in on Joey Zambotti was the guy that won. He parked on a front straightaway, climbed the fence like Tony Stewart used to do in NASCAR. Well, then Tyler Dietz, who finished second, he's our defending track champion. He's leading the points. He's been involved in more close finishes the last year than anybody I've seen. He wins some, he loses some, but he is always sportsmanlike after. He'll go into Victor Lane, shake hands with the winning driver. He went on the front straightaway and gave Joey a big hug. And that, that's, that's what our track is all about. We're a big racing family, and you know when push comes to shove and we need to pull together, and raise money uh, for someone like Lisa, who's done so much with the kids club the last couple of years. Um, time and again, our fans and, and drivers rise up to the occasion. And then that just makes me very proud. gives me goosebumps and chokes me up a little bit, to be honest. Yeah, no doubt about it. That kind of support. And you mentioned Brandon Hawkins to support the track race for his family uh, after his tragic loss. And that's, you know, the racing community is so tight knit and the fans are so tight knit and I think it makes it that much more special. Yeah, and a couple of his uh, former competitors uh, have put the his 27H. Uh, Zach Morrow did at our track. And then uh, a guy named Kyle Colwell has been running the 27H on his top wing uh, recently. And, you know, it, you can't control, you know, what happens to whom and when. Um, but 
we, we always have find a way of coming together when we need to. Let's talk a little bit about the championship battles. They're heating up for sure. You got Carl Bowser leading the People's Natural Gas 410 Sprint Car. He's 11 points ahead of AJ Flick. But lurking back there in third place is uh, the two time and the defending track champion, Jack Soderman Jr. Yeah, you definitely can't count out Jack. He's, uh, he's pretty consistent. He's had a couple rough nights this year, and really all of them have. Um, there was an incident uh, a few weeks ago between Bowser and Flick, and both have been fan favorites for a long time. And there was a little bit of contact in one and two battling for the lead, and uh, Carl got into AJ a little bit. And depending on who you ask, it was intentional, it wasn't intentional. You're never going to change anybody's mind once they make their mind up. But, uh, but bottom line is it kind of polarized the, the fans. And for the first time I can ever remember, uh, when Carl won that night, people were booing him. And then this past week, people were booing AJ in victory lane. And, and that's part of the, you know, kind of the, the spirit of the crowd too. Um, over the years, there's been a lot of great rivalries. Uh, Kevin Boland and Brian Schwartzlander come to mind. Um, you know, a couple decades ago, it was John Flinner and Lynn Geisler. You know, guys that win a lot tend to polarize the crowd. And when there's an incident on the track, whether it's intentional or not, it really fires up their fans. And it, it's kind of been fun to watch. And I've known both of them a long time. They both come from great families. They're both great young men. Uh, but sometimes when you're battling for the lead, and they, those sprint cars are so fast and reaction time is very minimal. So um, it, it was, it was kind of it was exciting to watch, and it's been exciting the last few weeks. And I wrote in a press release that, you know, whatever side of the aisle, aisle you'll fall on, whether it's pro Bowser or pro Flick, the one thing you can't deny is that it's absolutely lit a fire under AJ. He's won the last two races, and he was absolutely dominant in doing so this past Friday night. He went from ninth to third on the first lap. And once he got out front, he just checked out. And and it, it, I've been a huge sprint car fan for longer than I want to admit, probably about 30 years now. Um, but they're just so fast. So when a sprint car especially is that dominant and so much you know, more clearly faster than anybody else on the track, it's really fun to watch. I mean, we love the close finishes. We love the slide jaws passing back and forth. But when a sprint car is on and the driver hits all of his marks, it's so fun to watch them just weave through lap traffic and the speed with which those cars go. It's just, it's, it's, I'm, I'm still the biggest fan there. I mean, I, I'm lucky enough. I've been blessed to work the track for 14 years now, but yeah, I say all the time I get paid to be a fan and you know, I, I get to call the action I get to meet and hang out with the drivers and get to know them personally and their families. And I, I'm still just that, you know, 15 year old kid sitting down in turn one. I'm just a little bit older and I have some more responsibilities at the track, but, I'm, I'm still a huge fan of it every Friday night. I love it. Well, as you and I talked last year, I, I've always been a sprint car fan, whether it's wing, non-wing. It's just uh, that's always been, I, I, I don't want to say my favorite, but if I had a preference, if there was a couple of things on the schedule and it was uh, just a complete night of sprint cars, I'd be all in on that one. You mentioned John Flinter before. Let's talk about Colton Flinter. He leads the Precise Racing Products late model standings, and Tyler Dietz is nipping at his heels. Yeah, and Colton is the nephew of John Flinter, so, um, and actually is driving the car that John drove most recently. Um, so it's surprising. Usually by this time of the year, whoever's leading points has won a race or two, maybe three. Uh, Colton hasn't done that yet. He, he won some races last year, and he's been close this year. Um, but the late model division is, is unique, uh, from our other four divisions in that there's a lot of high paying regional late model races. So we get a lot of drivers that come in and out 
and they'll run for a couple weeks and then they'll go chase a three five thousand dollar show um so neither colton nor uh, tyler has won a, a feature at learnerville yet this year but they consistently finish up front and they're in contention for a points championship so that'll be fun to watch and it'll be you know fun whenever uh this past week it was jared miley that came in and won the race the week before that it was michael norris russ king uh, is a part-time racer as well. He works on a lot of race cars. That's his uh, career. He actually builds and um, does a lot of mechanical and you know setup kind of stuff with drivers all over the region. So um, we have these guys that come in that if they were there every week, they they may be you know runaway points uh, champion, but they just kind of come sporadically. And then you know we have the guys that are there every week and they consistently finish up front. And th- those are the guys the last at least last year, that finished in the championship. Now, Dietz is one of the guys. He does double duty because he'll also jump into a pro stock, and he's leading Corey McPherson with uh, Mike M- Miller and Joey Zambotti right on at their heels. Yeah, the battles between uh, Tyler Dietz and Corey McPherson the last few years have just been nothing short of spectacular. Uh, you know, I say it on the PA system a lot. You know, and, and I was guilty of it when I was a fan. When the sprint play models and sprint cars are done, a lot of fans leave. And we know that people work a nine to five job before they get to the track. And, you know, that extra half an hour they can get home sooner, you know, maybe worth the investment for them to sleep. But a lot of times you're missing the best feature of the night. And like I said earlier, the, the feature last Friday night came down to, I think, one 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 hundredth of a second. And we've seen a lot of those finishes in that division. Uh, Mike Miller is a guy that he hasn't run with us the past few years, but he won on opening night. Um, and I, I guess the, to back that up a little bit, we, for the last few years, have run a crate-only engine option for the Pro Stock, meaning you couldn't build or buy your own motor. Uh, you had to buy a GM uh, spec engine, so everyone pretty much had the same motor. Um, so a lot of drivers didn't agree with that. They like to build their own motor, so... Mike's the guy who hasn't run with us in the stocks the last few years, but we opened the rule package up again this year to include the open motor. And right out of the box, Mike won the feature opening night, and he's been really fast all year. I expect he'll, he'll be back in Victor Lane before too terribly long. Um, and then Joey Zambotti has won two races. So he's had a little bit of bad luck and um, has been involved in a couple on-track uh, incidents. So he's not really in contention right now, but if he keeps winning, it could end up being a four-car battle in that division for the championship. Yeah, it's not over yet, that's for sure. There's no doubt about that. Hey, and then Corey McPherson. Corey McPherson's won six-track championships. He's the second all-time wins leader. He hasn't won a race yet either. So, you know, he, he's due to go on a hot streak. So, um, you know, there's four or five cars that are on a given night, you know, that, that always finish up front and win races. So uh, it'll be fun to watch these last six weeks. That leads us to Big Block Modifieds, a deal automotive Big Block Modifieds. Garrett Crummert leads the standings. John Mollick took a wicked hit Saturday night at the Joke George Steel City Classic. He was, I think, running second or third and uh, pounded the wall and just tore off the front of his car. And luckily, he walked away from it. I know he's in second place. Uh, and then you've got guys like Rex King Jr. and Brian Schwartzlander still in the hunt as well. Yeah, and I, I wrote in press release this week for the last almost a decade. Uh, the champions have been Brian Sportsman, Rex King Jr., and Matt Williamson. Matt has, he was from, he still is from Canada, but he would come down from Canada every Friday night. And I think he won three track championships in a four year span. Well, now he's in the Super Dirt Car Series, which is the, um, the modified equivalent to the world of Outlaws. So he, he kind of cut his teeth with us and 
made himself a couple opportunities to drive for other people, and he's on to bigger and better things on on the national or regional scene. Um, but Garrett Crummert has been the best modified driver in the region so far this year, and John Mullock finally won his first modified race with us. He's won in a crate late model. He's won in a super late model. Uh, like I said, he's won a lot of races at Pittsburgh, but that is his first big block win. Um, so it's, it's a little bit different to see those guys up front in the point standings, but they've had a great start to the season. But you can never count out Rex King Jr., Brian Schwartzlander, and Dave Murdoch has had a great year as well. So, again, that's another division where there's five, six, seven cars. Uh, your starting position means a lot in the, those races because there are so many good cars up front. Um, it, it's hard to make your way through the top five once you get there. That's what makes the next couple of weeks so exciting because we can see the we can see these point standings swing uh, dramatically in the next three or four weeks. That's why uh, folks, you know, you want to get out to the track. But if they can't get to the track, you guys got a great new option with Lernerville TV. Yeah, you read my mind. I was hoping we would get there, and uh, yeah, pretty proud of that. Uh, the Thompsons. Um you know, put a lot of faith and, you know, we've invested, it's a good bit of money to do it right. And we partnered with Speed Sport TV and Rivet Incorporated. Um, you know, we considered some other options. Uh, there's a lot of live streaming platforms. They all do a great job. Um, but ultimately we thought the right fit for Lernerville Speedway was to do our own platform and not be, you know, third or fourth on the totem pole of the subscription based company. Uh, we wanted to do our own thing and do it the right way. Um, we have some young guys that work at NEP Broadcasting that does the Golf Channel, uh, Major League Baseball, Monday Night, Sunday Night Football, uh, WWE Raw. So, I mean, these guys are learning the, um, the, the elite in sports broadcasting, and they're with us on Friday nights doing the production and the broadcasting. Uh, we've, we've had some growing pains, to be quite honest, on the camera because the guys know the equipment. They know how to shoot, but they don't know our drivers yet. So we've brought some local guys in recently. Uh, they just do some freelance stuff um, that I've seen on social media. So I've reached out, asked them to come in, and they've done a great job. So I think that's kind of the direction we're going to go moving forward is we have guys on the roof, on the cameras that know the sport, and they can follow my call. So uh, a lot of times, you know, the default would be to follow the leader. But a lot of times, like last Friday night when AJ was running away with it, the battle for second, third, you know, even fifth or sixth sometimes is a much better battle on the track. And, you know, having guys that know the drivers and can follow my call is, is, is huge. And we've made a lot of strides. We've incorporated timing and scoring. Uh, it's only 20 bucks to watch for a Friday night, um, but the better deal is 30 bucks for a month. So you get four, fab four races for 30 bucks. That's $7.50 a week. You can't even get in for that. It's 15 bucks general admission. So we, we're not encouraging people to stay home. And that was a fear for a long time of a lot of track owners is that a live streaming platform would keep people from coming uh, to the gates and in the stands, but that just hasn't happened. And, you know, to me, one of the biggest misnomers in, uh, in the NFL is that Steeler fans travel well. I don't think that's the case at all. I think there's a lot of, you know, transplant Pittsburghers all over the country. So when they go to Arizona, the people that live in Arizona that came from Pittsburgh are the ones that fill those stadiums. I mean, the Steeler fans travel well, but I think it's a lot more that their fans are displaced all over the country. And those are the Lernerville fans, the people that grew up at Lernerville that live in North Carolina now or that live in Las Vegas or, you know, again, Arizona. Those are the people that we see turn, tuning in, people from Florida. Um, and then you, you do have some people that, you know, with health concerns, um, you know, aren't comfortable coming to the track yet. So they're watching from home until, you know, their health comes around or 
until they do feel more comfortable coming. So it's been a great option. Um, and just still in the infancy, we want to do, you know, a lot more with the equipment. Um, but I've been so busy. I just, I'm a school administrator. I just started a new job this summer. So, um, we really want to grow it and, and do more interactive stuff. We, we hope at some point to, uh, make our podcast, uh, part of that live stream. Uh, my PR director and I do a weekly podcast called the action track podcast. Uh, we hope to make that part of Learnerville TV. We'd like to incorporate sponsors from our marketing partners. Uh, so like number one, Cochrane and deal automotive, uh, to name a few, they have commercials that are on TV. They can just, you know, we can upload those Learnerville TV and give them more bang for their bucks than just the sign that's on, you know, the, the, the scoreboard. So, um, it, it's got a lot of p- uh, potential and we're looking forward to growing it and making it better and better every year. Biggie, I think you guys are off to a great start with it. As you know, it, it's difficult with me working Friday nights to be able to get to the track. It was a little easier when we were working out of the studio, but now working from home, I'm down in Washington County. So I've logged on to Lernerville TV and watched a couple of nights myself uh, just because I don't want to miss the action for one. Uh, but the hard part is I don't get to talk to the guys talk to the drivers, and really tell their story. So hopefully throughout, uh, we can help grow Learnerville TV. We can help you guys in that process, and we can tell the stories of the of the drivers because really that's, that's what racing's all about and the on-track action up at Learnerville every Friday and when you guys run your Saturday shows is fantastic. That's why touring series like the World of Outlaws and the All-Star Circuit of Champions comes to Learnerville because you guys put on a great show. Yeah, we certainly appreciate you tuning in. We appreciate your support, everything you do for local and regional racing. And um, it, it is all about the drivers. It is all about the community. And it's just great people to be around. Um, and I'm just glad to be a part of it. And it, it still feels weird sometimes that um, I'm in the position I'm in. Uh, like I said, just growing up in turn four, uh, or excuse me, turn one. And, you know, to be the track announcer now, I, I don't think if you would have asked me at 15, I, I would have thought that that ever would have come to pass. So um, if you're listening to this podcast and you're sitting in the grandstands and you want to get involved, um, you know, reach out to us on social media. We're always looking to add, you know, new, passionate, talented people. Um, and everyone has their niche. So w- whether it's running a video camera, you know, I broke in with uh, public relations and unfortunately our, our announcer passed away tragically three or four years ago. And I was just asked to fill in for a few weeks and until they found somebody and they still haven't found anybody. So um, I'm still the announcement. I I think I've grown into the position. Um, I still don't hold a candle to Dow Carnahan. He was a great friend um, and and he was a fantastic announcer, both at Lernerville and Pittsburgh. But uh, I just try to have fun with it. And like I said, I'm I'm in education. So I try to educate the fans on, you know, what's going on on the track, the difference between the cars and the engines. Uh, what a redraw means because we throw a lot of vernacular around from the industry but when we do have those new people that are just coming for the first time you know it's like i'm i'm speaking you know chinese because they don't understand the terminology so i try to incorporate some of that as well just so uh, those people do feel welcome and they understand what they're seeing so um but again appreciate your support appreciate being on the podcast and everything you do for local racing well, we appreciate you taking the time out. We'll let you get back to the baseball game, and uh, we'll hear you up at the track. We'll see you up at the track, and if we can't do it, we'll log on and check you out on Lernerville TV. Biggie, Eric yeah, Westendorf. I appreciate it, Scott. Thanks to Eric for taking time out of his schedule. Lernerville is a great place to take the kids on a Friday night. One race that will not have fans this year is the Indianapolis 500. 
The Speedway's new owner, Roger Penske, originally wanted to have 50% capacity and then cut that back to 25% capacity. And then late last week, the Indiana University Health Center recommended that the event be held without fans. That ended the Speedway's plans of having fans in attendance. The Indy cars finally took to the track for practice on Wednesday, and the fastest car in the morning session was the number nine PNC Bank Chip Ganassi Racing Honda of Scott Dixon. It's great to get back on track, especially here in Indy. Uh, obviously, a lot of us have been waiting for, for quite a long time, but um, yeah, just you know, trying to get through. I think for us as a team, there's been a lot of changes uh, in the off season, uh, one with you know personnel, and then also just with. You know, development and, and things we've looked into. So we have a you know a long list of things to check off, and and you know I think we could have really used a typical you know length of practice time as many other teams could as well. So um, yeah, just trying to get through the list. I think the car rolled off pretty well. Um, you know, it's much easier to drive than than maybe what we had last year. So I think that 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 showed. Um, and yeah, it was just uh, kind of going through the steps. We didn't really get as much running towards the end of the day we had to come back to the garage to kind of get uh something knocked out and and uh took a little longer than we expected but uh, all in all great to be back on track and um you know it's great to see so many cars out there running and and uh it was it was a lot of fun to, to be out there and mixing it up the ganassi indycar program has added a third car this year after ford ended the gt program in sports car racing dixon talked about the first day and how it went for the entire team you know, I think on, on our program, it probably ran a little bit smoother than, than the other two. Uh, I know with Marcus was struggling earlier in the day, but but turned things around uh, later and felt a lot more comfortable. I feel a lot more comfortable than last year, straight out of the box, just with, you know, how the car drives and, and especially in traffic. Um, you know, and I think Felix kind of felt the same, um, you know, situation. It's probably a little easier for us to read just because, you know, that it's the same team and, 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 you know, the difference would be a lot different for us uh, with setup changes opposed to, you know, Marcus coming in and, and coming from a totally different team and not knowing what we had. So, yeah, I think it, it went pretty good. Um, you know, I, I hope that the progression, I think, over the next couple of days between the three of us will be a little more suited. Um, I think there's been definitely some uh, separation in that side of things. So, you know, we'll see how that goes. And maybe tonight, we haven't really had a whole lot of time to really go through it yet. So uh, we'll see how that goes. Also new for Dixon this year is his race engineer, Michael Cannon. They got off to a good start winning the first three races of the season. It's definitely interesting, I think, coming to a lot of these places for the first time and just trying to attack it a different way. So, you know, it's, uh, it's refreshing for one and, and uh, two, you know, I think the combination with him and, and a lot of other people coming from the GT program and, you know, the depth that this team has already had, you know, it's, it's kind of nice to have, you know, some uh, added depth to it because we were, we were running pretty thin there on the IndyCar side with the GT program. James Hinchcliffe was the fastest in the afternoon session in the Genesis Honda you know, it's, it's how it's put together, it's how the pieces fit, it's the body fit, it's the uprights, it's the gearbox, it's all these, you know, tricks that all the teams have to make these things go faster on this place. And uh, when you roll off the truck and you don't feel like you have to find an extra mile an hour, mile and a half, you know, to, to be on pace, it's it's a huge thing. And to have three Andretti Autosport cars in the top five and, you know, to, to be able to build six cars at, at this level, all the cars were really quick today. A uh, huge testament to the work of everybody at Andretti Autosport. And, yeah, it's nice to have the uh, the Genesis buggy up front. And it's just day one. It's just practice. But uh, it's definitely a, a nice way to start the start the week off. Hinch is part of the six-car Andretti Autosport team and feels that should be a benefit the next two weeks. 
with all the events pretty much up to this point, you know, they've been truncated schedules uh, a lot, you know, for the weekend, uh, usually more sessions per uh, per day, which in theory should benefit a, a car or a team with more cars. But the, the problem is the time in between the sessions also goes down. And so you don't actually have the time to go through the data of all the other cars to really take advantage of, of that uh, of that element. So you end up just kind of being six one-car teams almost. It, it's been a bit of a struggle, to be honest. But uh, obviously here with the, the format the way it is, we've got a lot more time to kind of go through the data, talk to everybody, have more thorough debriefs. And so Hopefully, uh, hopefully we can see some advantage in it this week and, and heading into next weekend. New for IndyCar this year is the AeroScreen cockpit protection device. Hinch talked about how that feels in the car. It felt fairly normal. You know, you're you're still getting used to, you know, the, the lack of kind of wind noise and uh, the, the difference in where the air sort of hits you and how you feel it. But in terms of the car, uh, the handling, handling in traffic, uh, it was it was pretty similar, and it didn't do anything kind of unpredictable or freaky. Um, it was, uh, it was kind of a pleasant, I don't want to say surprise, but it was, you know, it was, I'm glad that we didn't get surprised and, uh, and have something weird jump in. Both drivers weighed in on how weird it feels to not have any fans at Indy. It's very strange. It's very weird, you know, and, and that's what, uh, you know, makes us places, you know, the fans and, and we miss them greatly. But, you know, I think race day is going to be, that's where the difference is going to be. You know, typically that, that walking out of gasoline alley and that, that feel that you have uh, coming out and hearing all those conversations and the atmosphere is just is crazy. So um, we won't have, you know, how it you know, builds up throughout, throughout the week. Um, and it will, you know, we definitely will, will be a big miss, I think, this year as far as, uh, you know, not feeling the fans there. It felt like a test day. I was, I was having that conversation with a couple of the guys, you know, it just kind of felt like a, a full on, very full on, you know, full series test day. But um, knowing that, you know, there's way fewer people than there would normally be at this point in the week and, and then thinking ahead to Fast Friday, to qualifying weekend, to car day. Normally you see a steady escalation of people at the track each day. And just knowing you're not going to see that. Like this is the view that we're going to have uh, in, until the end of the race. But, um, yeah, it's, it's a bit weird, a bit surreal. Uh, we certainly miss having spectators here in the stands, but uh, we still get to go put on a good show for them and, and hopefully everybody tunes in and, and watches on NBC. Qualifying for the Indy 500 takes place on Saturday, where all 33 cars will make a qualifying run. The fastest nine cars from Saturday will return on Sunday to make a run for the pole position in the Fast 9 shootout. That will also set the first three rows. Rows 4 through 11 will be based on Saturday's speeds. Locally on Saturday, it's the Ed Laboon Memorial at PPMS, and at Jennerstown, they'll be running their five divisions of racing. Our Lou Long headed to central Pennsylvania this weekend, so watch for his coverage over at pittsburghracingnow.com. In Knoxville, Tim Schaefer and Cy Lynch are running with the World of Outlaws, taking part in the one and only, so good luck to those guys. On Sunday, Tri-City Raceway is in action and the NASCAR Cup Series races for the first time ever on the Daytona International Speedway Road Course. That does it for this edition of the Pittsburgh Racing Now podcast. Extra special thanks to the Crusher Kid, Michael Norris, the voice of Lernerville, Big E, Eric Westendorf, and as well, thanks to IndyCar drivers James Hinchcliffe and Scott Dixon. And thanks to you race fans for joining us. Stay up on all the news, both locally and nationally, by clicking on PittsburghRacingNow.com every day. Any use or reproduction of this podcast 
without the express written consent of Pittsburgh Racing Now is strictly prohibited. Until next time, I'm Scott Stiller.